Um, or maybe they're putting their hope in, oh, things will get better. But that's just a phrase. This is, Jesus is alive. He's a reality. He is our better. He is the best. He's not just good. He is the best. So um, I just pray that uh, you'd meet with him today and be blessed. All right, going to turn it over to David. Amen. Thank you, Jen. Beautifully, beautifully done. Can I just say a couple of things before we get started? First of all, blessed Easter to everybody. And second of all, we've come a long way in this year. Last Easter, we were unable to meet. I didn't know the first thing about teaching on the Internet, and some of my first videos were horrible. Uh, I look at them. It's kind of like the first pancake you make is always ugly. You know, the rest of them get better, and they just uh, it was tough last Easter. It really was. I was trying to film, and it was windy outside, and I couldn't get the sound right, and I got all frustrated. And our church was sort of at its lowest point. And the Lord's done some resurrection with our church this year. It's been amazing. We've got people watching this all over the world right now. We've got people in, in Africa and the Philippines and Holland, uh, all over Canada. For whatever reason, we tend to attract Canadians. I don't know what that is. Maybe they just like the idea of sunshine down here. But uh, we're very blessed to have our, our daughter church for the first time worshiping with us online up in Canada, the well at Wild Rose Country that started just a, a month or two ago. And I just want to thank all the people who worked so hard to come back from that point. And uh, you know who you are, and I am so grateful to each of you. So we've had a resurrection of our own. This is the resurrection of our Lord 2021, also known as Easter Sunday. Next Sunday, we're starting a new sermon series, The Ten Commandments of Jesus. Now, we look at the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And I went through Lutheran confirmation, and I memorized all those things, and what does this mean and all that. And that's all great. But Jesus also has Ten Commandments that he gave throughout the Gospels in different places. And they are powerful, potent, and even more important, I think, than the ones in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at those one at a time starting next Sunday, so do not miss that. It is. Uh, going to energize your life. Today's message, do you see what Mary sees and do you hear what Mary hears? I ask that question of each of you personally. We've got a fantastic story here. And some people in the story get it and some people don't. And we want to be the kind of people who get it. We're going to be looking at a very important New Testament character, Mary Magdalene, who is the main character of the resurrection outside of, of course, Jesus. It was kind of his big deal. And uh, she is so misunderstood. I've got a lot of pet peeves. And the older I get, the more I have pet peeves. It's just uh, I don't like dumb street names. For instance, Huntington Street in Huntington Beach. I think that's just dumb. Of course it's in Huntington. Why would you name it Huntington Street? Or Little things like that. And my other one is when I hear preachers say, and it was God who turned Abram into Abraham. That's true. It was God who turned Sarai into Sarah. That's true. It was God who turned Jacob into Israel. That's true. And it was God who turned Saul into Paul. That's not true. Drives me nuts. Uh, just little pet peeves. Shaul, or Saul, was Saul his whole life when he was around Jews. And he was Paulos with the Greeks. Paulos, by the way, in Greek means shorty. 
it was his trade name when he would uh, sell tents to people. So if you need a tent, call Shorty. If he had a, you know, a business card. So it's not like God said, thou art Shaul, Saul, and, some, and henceforth thou shalt be Shorty. I, no, just uh, not happening. And the other one that drives me nuts, absolutely nuts, is the teaching that Mary Magdalene was a woman of ill repute. It even made it into Jesus Christ Superstar. It drives me crazy because it's not true. Not true at all. Her name was Mariam. Mariam, named after Miriam in the Old Testament, who was the sister of Moses. And Mariam was the one who led the dance at the end of the Red Sea thing, and she was the one who brought water to the Israelites throughout the trip, according to Jewish legend. She was the one who supplied water for the camp, which is a big deal when you're in the desert. And Miriam, uh, it means bitter, grew up in slavery, uh, grew up uh, in a rough, rough time. And her parents named her bitter because they were going through bitter things at the time, bitterness. So Mariam, Mariam Lamagdala. And I remember being in Israel, driving along on a road, and there was a little turn off to Magdala. There it was. The town's still there. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is right here. It's right next to, by the way, the, the little picnic ground, which is where uh, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount was given, which I think is kind of odd to have a picnic ground there. But uh, it's kind of a like turn off rest stop thing. So anyways, I was there. And uh, Magdala, uh, Mariam la Magdala in Hebrew, indicates that she was nobility. If you run into someone, something of so-and-so, it usually means that person is of noble birth. If, for instance, Wendy and I have this habit of running into important people. And we were in Germany visiting our good friends, the Stammlers, and there sitting at the table was Klaus von Bismarck. And yes, related to that Bismarck. And uh, he was in charge of youth ministry in Germany and was really involved in the Lutheran Church in, in youth ministry. And he was sitting there, 80 years old, and I'm thinking, here I am with Klaus von Bismarck. Well, von Bismarck of Bismarck means he's of nobility. Mary uh, Lamagdala was a woman of nobility, not a fallen woman. Drives me absolutely crazy. And uh, she was one of the benefactors of the ministry. The Bible tells us that she was one of the people who funded the ministry. So she was of noble birth, and she was one of those people who wrote big checks for the church. So she was uh, also delivered of demons, the Bible tells us. So she'd been through a lot. She had a, a real rough kind of uh, entry into the ministry, been through a lot of stuff. In 1591, Gregory, Pope Gregory Fourteenth gave a sermon saying that she was a sinful woman, and she was the woman who uh, anointed Jesus' feet with oil and that kind of stuff, which is not true, but it's stuck. And I won't tell you what church it is, but the initials are Mariner's Church, and I was over there just uh, recently, well, a few years ago, and the preacher said, well, we all know Mary Magdalene was a fallen woman. And I went up afterwards and said, show me in the Bible where that's there. It's not. The idea that uh, women are either eternal virgins like Mary, the mother of Jesus, or fallen women. It just it takes away from the dignity of women. And she was super important, the most important character in the resurrection story. So we're going to look at this story, and we're going to see what she sees and hear what she hears. And my question to you again is, do you see what Mary sees, and do you hear what Mary heard? Because that's pivotal for your whole life. Your whole life will be different if you see what she sees and hears what she hears, because there's a couple guys in the story who don't. And those who do and those who don't, it's a big difference. So let's look at the Bible passage itself. John 20, 1 through 10. And those of you at home can open up your Bibles and turn to that. 
or you can watch on the screen. This is the resurrection story according to John. Now, you read all the resurrection stories, and they're a mess. They're an absolute mess, because some of the people who wrote these were not eyewitnesses. John was. And also, who here has been in a car accident? Who's been in a, car, a bad car accident? Would you raise your hands if you've been in a bad car accident? If you've been in a bad car accident, you ever notice that afterwards everyone's disoriented? This was like that. This was a collision. This was one of those things they didn't expect, and everybody was bewildered. Was there one angel or two? Who ran? Who got there first? Which women were there? Which of, them, which of the Marys were there? And, and the reports are very typical of the reports after a car wreck. It's, there's this sort of what just happened because nobody was expecting this. Jen, can I have you get that door there real quick? We've got the wonderful sound of children, but I don't want to compete with them this morning. So now on the first day of the week, this is a Sunday. The first day of the week, we have an image of new beginnings, new starts. Mary Magdalene, Mariam la Magdala, went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is how John referred to himself, which I'm sure didn't endear him to the other apostles. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she's with some other women, but she's the main character at this point. She's the leader of the group going to what is going to be happening. And she sees the, the stone rolled away. We don't know that she looked in. We don't think she did because it said she looked in later. It doesn't say she looked in this time. She just saw the, the thing rolled away. Now, folks, I have been to a lot of funerals in your family. So the Menonis are back there, and we've been to some, some beautiful services there. But can you imagine going back to the grave with your flowers, and you see a hole where the thing was? That's, she's just thinking, whoa. Um, and then she just she doesn't look. She turns around and runs and says, what's going on here? Uh, this is not good. Uh, folks, uh, somebody's taken the body. And that's what you would think if you saw the empty tomb. You wouldn't think, oh, Jesus is risen. Uh, the disciples, it, it took them a long time to get this. And so she's thinking what no, most normal people would think if they see this empty grave, that somebody has taken the body. If the stone's not where it's supposed to be, there's something wrong. Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, who were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and John couldn't help mentioning that he was running faster than Peter. Outran Peter. This, the Bible is so real, folks. It's just, it's, it's got that human touch to it. Uh, he's saying, well, I got there first, you know, because he knows that Peter looked in first, but he wants to let people know that he got there first. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. So John stopped, Peter went and looked. So Peter gets first dibs on looking, but John got there first, and all this kind of boy thing going on where they're kind of competing uh, all the time. I grew up with a house of all brothers, and we did this kind of thing all the time. You split the, you split the Hershey bar, and the person who splits it, the other person gets to pick, just to make sure you get just exactly uh, half and half. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, which folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. Not that he had been risen, by the way. We know that that's true because of the next verse. 
For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. He believed what Mary had said. And he believed, and he believed that Mary said the body's gone. And he couldn't have believed that he was risen because it says here they didn't know in the next verse. So he's thinking, okay, she's right. Uh, Jesus is gone. I've checked it out. He's missing, missing in action. And this is not good, by the way. So this is, they've had a bad week already. And this is not helping at all. You ever just been at the end of your rope and then something terrible happens? And you just think, oh, really? Does this have to happen right now? Really? Does this have to happen? So let's look at Mariam. This is where she becomes the main character of the story. Mariam La Magdala. And the church has always called her, by the way, the apostle to the apostles, for she was sent by Jesus to tell the apostles. And apostle means to be sent. And so she was the one who was sent to those who were sent. So she was the first apostle in that sense, and a very, very big deal in this story. Mary, however, didn't run up and run back. She'd been there for a while, and she stayed. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down, and finally she looks into the tomb. Probably didn't want to at first. I mean, would you want to look in there? I'm not sure I'd want to look at a loved one's grave if there'd been a problem. And we have her here weeping. Jen was up here, and she said she has not cried on stage for a long time. And she was touched by the same thing that Mary was touched with, the, just the emotion of all this going on, the emotion of the crucifixion. If you notice when Jen was up here, her emotion was around the crucifixion from Friday night and uh, the Jesus dying for us. And, she's, and Mary is here also feeling emotional stuff. She's in touch with what she's feeling. She's not dashing back, running around, trying to outrun people and everything else. She's actually in the moment paying attention to what is going on and stopping and slowing down. And she saw, this is so important, she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? We're going to come back to those angels in a moment. Are you seeing what Mary sees? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. An angel at the head and an angel at the foot. Any Israelite at that moment, seeing two angels at the head and the foot of a grave, would have in his or her mind the picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And you may not know much about the Ark of the Covenant, but in the Indiana Jones movies, that's kind of a big deal. And we all know that some bureaucrat put it in a box somewhere, and it's, uh, it's in some kind of government storage, for that matter. But uh, in any case, the Ark of the Covenant had two angels, one at the foot and one at the head, with their outstretched wings over it. And in the space there, the empty space, is where the Israelites saw the presence or felt the presence of God was the strongest. It was in the Holy of Holies of the temple. And only one person got to go in there every year. And they put a rope around his ankle in case he died in there. They wanted to pull him out because nobody else could go in there. So people cultivated the presence of God in this place, and they focused on it. And you'll notice that in that empty space above the ark and under the wings is where they thought of God being most present. And God is not present in an image. God is present in the empty space between the images, because you can't take a picture of God. God is beyond that. His majesty and his holiness, as, uh, 
as Jen was talking about, um, just that magnificent glory of God cannot be contained in a picture. And so the Israelites were anti-idol. They were anti-image. You shall make no graven images. And you will, you will see God as not being a part of this creation, being present in creation, but being separate from creation. You can't make an image of God. In, uh, in Hebrew, it's hakaforet, and it's hard to read the little dots when uh, you don't have your reading glasses, hakaforet in uh, Hebrew. And in Greek, it's hilasterion. It's the space above the ark. And in English, it's called the mercy seat. It's where Jesus' mercy is handed out. God's mercy is, is meted out to people. And Jen used a big Latin word up here, propitiation. I was really surprised that anybody would ever use that word. And I had, had it in my slides, and she didn't perhaps know that. Propitiation, hilasterion, same thing. And that's God making good all of our sins. And the Israelites thought about the ark as being that place where that happened, where we have our sins forgiven. In the presence of God, our sins are forgiven. And when you're in the presence of God, folks, your sins disappear because brokenness and sin can't hang around with God. And when you're sitting on God's lap, guess what doesn't happen? Sinful thoughts. It's uh, when you're in the presence of God, there's a purity to it. And so people saw the ark as that place where they could experience the purity of God, the pure presence of God. And they figured, well, in that presence, then our sins will be forgiven because our sins can't exist in God's presence. And they call that atonement, propitiation, in Greek, hilasterion. And uh, 1 Samuel 4.4 4 says that uh, Yahweh, the Lord, dwells above the mercy seat. That's where his place is. And so John very carefully says, hey, there's two angels. There's an angel at the foot and an angel at the head of Jesus' tomb. In other words, Mariam, Mary, sensed the presence of the Lord in that place. And she sensed the redemptive power of the Lord and the grace of the Lord, the forgiveness of the Lord, all in that place. That's like me right now, she's going to keep crying. I mean, she cries through the whole thing at this point. And there's a, there's a, sense, of, there's a sense of God's presence, which is thick in the tomb. I felt a few places like that. I felt a few places like that. I was at the western wall of the temple once at, uh, I think, three or four in the morning. And I was just driving around in a rental car. I wasn't supposed to be in Israel. I was there for three days, and uh, it was quite a deal. I showed up at the wall, and a bunch of people threw a hat on top of me, and they prayed over me and sent me up to the wall, and they were all Russian Jews, and they asked if I was a Russian Jew, and I said, no. I said, you look like a Russian. I'm not Russian. I'm not Jewish, really. I'm, I'm just a Lutheran pastor. Please be nice to me. But they sent me up there, and uh, I, uh, I prayed at the wall. I sensed the presence of God at the wall. Uh, in fact, in Hebrew at the bottom, it's written, the glory of the Lord never leaves this place. <laughs> okay. So there are places like that. And Mary was in a place like that, so she kept emoting. She sensed, I mean, you see, you see these two angels there, and this is the ark, this is the mercy seat. Okay. So I want to say something to you about seeing what Mary sees and hearing what Mary hears. You've heard the phrase, seeing is believing. I think the opposite is more true. Believing is seeing. And she had more faith than Peter and John at that moment. So she saw angels, and guess who didn't see the angels? 
Guess who didn't see the angels? John and Peter. Don't record it. Mary saw them because she was open and she was present at that moment. That insight, by the way, is not mine. That belongs to John Ellis back there from our men's group. He pointed that out on Monday. So Mary becomes the main character of the message at this point. She sees the angels. Peter and John don't see the angels. And I have to ask you, do you want to be like Mary or do you want to be like John and Peter? I want to be like Mary in this case. I want to be present. I want to be emotionally present. I want to sense the presence of God. And I want to feel his forgiveness, not just know it's true because some teacher taught me. You can know that God forgives your sins and you can feel that God forgives your sins. Which one would be better? Be better to experience that to be in the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, you will experience that. That's why I love praise and worship in church. I love it when they're up here doing this. And sometimes I wish they would just keep going and I wouldn't have to teach. Not because I'm lazy, but the presence of God is so much more present sometimes in worship than in a message. And I just help kind of explain what's going on. But what's going on in prayer ministry and worship is so important. And we enter into heavenly worship when we're worshiping together. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Where else is there a prominent garden in the Bible? And you don't have to look very far when you open up the beginning. Your vocation is to garden the earth. Whatever other vocation you have is secondary. We are here to take care of and have stewardship of this world. Gardening in the broadest of the sense. We are here to turn the desert into a garden. That's what we're here for. That was our original job description, and we were banished from the garden. And (laughs) the risen Jesus is inviting us back in. She supposed him to be the gardener. There's a new start here. When you're in the presence of God, you see, she wasn't really making a mistake. She was getting closer and closer to the truth. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. I mean, she's getting close to the truth here. She's picking up on the, on the spiritual truth that this is a new beginning now, that she's in the presence of God. This is starting over. This is going to be really cool. And she's still emoting like crazy. And the older I get, the more I do that. I don't know, it's kind of weird, but uh, little I, I can't even watch like Little House on the Prairie anymore without getting all weepy. It's just uh, kind of embarrassing, actually. He thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. That's pretty assertive, by the way. And then Jesus calls her name, and we read it in English as Mary, but he said, Mariam. She turned him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Which you don't call someone that unless you are one of his students. And the word for student is mathetes. We translate that disciple. So you have one of the main disciples here. Not one of the 12, but one of the main students. One of the main disciples. The main one entrusted to be the apostle to the apostles. He's a big deal in this story. Mariam, Jesus said, he turned to him and cried out, teacher. I want to move to the next slide there. I just lost the thing. 
And she says, Teacher, go to the next slide. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Next slide. Mary Magdalene, Mariam la Magdala, found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave him, gave them his message. Go tell the fellas, go tell the guys who ran off and missed the main thing and didn't see the angels in the first place that, uh, that I'm alive. And her state of being allowed her to experience what was really going on. That's why she was entrusted with the story in the first place. So, how can we each put ourselves in a position where we are receptive when God calls our name? When God calls you by your name. A lot of people have never heard God call us by name, but that's not because he's not calling us by name. It's because we're not necessarily receptive very often. She was in a very receptive point. So how do we do that? Title of the sermon was, See what Mary sees, hear what Mary hears. How do we put ourselves in that position? Number one, stop running around. John and Peter missed the greatest thing in their lives because they were running around. I've missed some really big things in life because I was too big of in a hurry, too, in too big of a hurry. Think of the things we miss when we're running around. Dallas Willard, who is arguably the smartest Christian in Southern California for a generation until he passed away a few years ago. And Dana Hansen, my partner pastor, he's up at uh, a Lutheran church in the Valley, Lifehouse, one of the best preachers, period, that I know, was a direct student of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard writes books that are so deep that I get through about a page and a half and I'm up to my axles in sand and I just quit. It's just, it's that, it's that powerful, the stuff he writes. And Dallas Willard was asked, if you could distill your teaching down to one thing, what would it be? He said, with everything that you have, eliminate hurry from your life. A spiritual life and haste cannot coexist. You don't do your best work when you're in a hurry. Haste makes waste. We've heard that. And you can't be present with God if you're running around. Who thinks Californians are known for running around a little bit too much? You get on the freeway at two in the morning and all these people are driving everywhere. Where is everybody going? And then you realize you're one of them. You know, you're, you're doing exactly what they're doing. We're tearing around all the time. And we wonder why we never sense God's presence because we're in a hurry. We have so much to do. We're so busy, busy, busy. You know, it, it, busyness and spirituality don't, uh, don't really coexist real well. Slow the heck down. Sorry, I said heck. Someone will say, okay, don't say that in church. But anyways, slow the heck down. Stop running. Peter and John missed the whole thing because they were tearing in and tearing out, and they missed the whole deal. They could have been right there with Mary when this happened. Talk about missing it. Slow down. Take your time. I was once uh, tearing around, and one of my best friends in this room, uh, Lou Minoni back there, called me because he listens to the Holy Spirit. He says, wherever you are, stop. Park your car and just sit for a while, will you? And I was going by Crystal Cove, so I did. And I had the most beautiful hour and a half because I quit running around. Why do we take a Sabbath? So that we can stop and listen to God. We fill our Sabbath with you know downtown Disney. It's not going to, nothing wrong with downtown Disney. Just don't do it on your Sabbath. 
Take some time to be more like Mary. Stop running around. Number two, face the void. Who thinks she didn't want to look in to see what was in that grave when Peter and John had left and you, you gather the guts up to look to see what's in the dark? Who knows? For all we know, the grave had been desecrated. There's people, there's weird people who do stuff like that. I won't name any names, but Joseph Smith went to jail for that before he became famous. So it's, it's not pretty. Not pretty at all. And she's thinking, oh boy, I, bet, I better look. All of us have some dark stuff in our lives, and we have to face the stuff. Facing the stuff, the stuff we're running from, the stuff we need to deal with, the stuff that we put off, the stuff that we avoid, the stuff we keep from people. She gathers up her courage and looks into the dark. That's a good way to open up your spirit, too. Because guess who's in there? In our darkest place is the presence of God and the two angels and the mercy seat. Unless we get real with us, with our stuff, we're never going to get really forgiven or sense it. We get forgiven in church over and over. We still feel guilty. What's that about? Well, we've never really looked in the grave. Because it's in the grave where we find the presence of God, which is really a paradox, but it's true. What did she see in there? She didn't see darkness. She saw glory. Glory that Peter and John missed because they were in a hurry. Third one. And this is where Mary really did well. Operate on the presence, not just the existence of God. 95% of Americans believe in the existence of a higher power. Highest in the world, by the way. Some higher power, some God, something. Very few North Americans operate on a daily basis as if they are operating in the presence of God. And she encountered the presence of God in the grave. Not just where is Jesus, but the presence of the Lord there. And so operating on that, that changes the whole way you look at everything. If God is always present, that's a whole different way of thinking. We, we argue in church to try to convince people that God exists, but what about the idea that God is present? Because that's what really changes things. God existing way out there is what's her name, Bette Midler, singing that horrible song, watching us from way out there. God is way more present than that. But what she's singing is a terrible... I should stop. It'd be nice. Um, it's 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 okay song, but uh, it it makes God distant, and He's not distant. And she's the kind of person who senses God's presence. And spirit-filled churches are good at that. That's why I love hanging around Pentecostals because they just operate that way. It's it's beautiful. Harvey Cox, a liberal theologian from Harvard, wanted to write a book on Pentecostals because he thought they were weird, and he started hanging around them. And he became one in the middle of the book. It's a fascinating book. It's called Fire from Heaven. He started to realize, oh, my goodness, these people have it right. They understand that God is present and does stuff. Imagine that. Next slide. Listen for the Lord's voice when you are at the end of your rope. One of the best times to listen for the Lord's voice is when you have nothing left to try. And we all have those moments in our life where at the end of our rope, when we're really tired, when we're just not able to do anything on our own. And at that point, very often we should be listening for God's voice. He's not often talking to us in the same way when things are going really, really well. And here's something I'm going to do right now. 
I want us all to visualize the Lord speaking our name. So I'm just going to stop, close your eyes, and I want you to picture, keep your eyes shut, I can tell up here. What I'd like you to do is to picture God calling you by name and have him do it three times. And now picture yourself in the garden. And Jesus is behind you, and now he calls out your name. It's hard for us to listen for the voice of God. It's hard for us to hear God's voice if we can't even visualize or picture it to start with. And it's a good spiritual practice to do, just to picture Jesus calling your name. Because then if we can do that, then when he calls it, it's, we've got a familiar place to put that. We've got a, a hook to put that on in our souls. So from time to time, just picture that so that when he actually calls your name, you'll, uh, you'll be ready to hear it. And the last one, remember that you belong in the garden. That's God's original intent for us. Not in heaven, by the way. Heaven is a temporary place. I don't care what your end times view is. You, there's millions of end times views, most of which will be wrong someday because the world's only going to end one way. But they all say the same thing. They all end on this world looking up at a new heaven from a new earth. We end up looking up at the pearly gate. We don't go up to the pearly gates. Book of Revelation has the pearly gates coming down to us. And we're in the garden, by the way. The garden has been restored. You belong in the garden. And your task is that of a gardener. And until this world looks like the garden, we've got work to do. You ever notice Christians, the first ones in and the last ones out when there's a natural disaster anywhere in the world? We have a sense for that. We've got an instinct for making things right, for fixing things, for healing, for feeding people that are hungry. A lot of you brought food for uh, Robin's Nest. And if you've got some food, uh, please leave that off at the, at the Volkswagen bus out there, and we'll load it up in Tamara's car, and we'll bring it off. But uh, we've got an instinct for that. You belong in the garden. I'm going to invite the worship team up for our last song here. What does Mariam say when she finally finds the brethren? She says, I've seen the Lord. And she says so with confidence. Confidence is a Latin word, confide, faith together with, with facts and the things she's seen. This was not wishful thinking on her part. She was speaking this out with power and with confidence. So just to close, go to the last slide here. You guys would turn to that one with an empty tomb. I would just invite you this week to watch for angels, 
to listen for Jesus calling your name and to be like Mariam. Let's pray. Lord, there's two ways we can experience Easter. We can experience it like John and Peter running around and finally getting it. Secondhand. Or we can experience it like Mariam la Magdala, the apostle to the apostles. You're always present, Lord. Your son dwells among us. There's people who see angels and people who sense his presence and people who don't. There's people who hear his voice and people who don't, Lord, and the difference is up to us. Not whether you will speak or whether you will appear, but whether we will see and whether we will listen. You constantly call us by name, Lord. I've missed it a lot of times. But I want to be like Mariam and say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. And Lord, I just pray that the, your risen son would dwell richly in the hearts and souls of everyone here and everyone listening to my voice. And we pray this in the name of the risen Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many of you had a, a voice in your head uh, when you were hearing your name that was like somebody close to you? I was trying to hear Jesus saying my name, but I, instead I heard my friend going, I'm like, no, that's not the voice of Jesus. Get out. <laughs> His voice is always gentle and pure and no confusion, right? It's easy to um, hear the voice of, you know, maybe somebody you love who's always been like, like a doting parent, you know, and visualize that when we're maybe doing something we shouldn't. It's like, no, we got to hear the Lord. But then the same is true when we're under guilt and condemnation. We need to not hear the voice that is critical and, you know, Jesus' voice is Jesus' voice. It's his voice. And uh, may we just grow in the knowledge of what his voice sounds like as we continue in his word. All right, you guys can stand up. It's uh, an old favorite of mine, and uh, I heard a reggae version of it that's really fun and gave it a little twist. So hope you guys are blessed.
to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. No death to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on. invite you to hold up your hands and receive a, a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his shalom, his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Have a wonderful week. By the way, the Methodists ordered too many hot dogs. They have 200 by accident, and they want us to help eat them. So uh, please grab one on the way out.